Amen. All right, well, we're there in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I, I don't know, it sounds a little echoey to me, if you could help me with the, uh, with the speaker. I, I do want to hear myself, but um, I need to be able to hear myself, but just not so echoey. Thank you. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 3, if you look at verse 16, the Bible says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Uh, if you remember last week, we've been going through this series called Peculiar People, and we've been learning about how to not be common, how to be different, how God desires to have a people that are different. And last week, we learned all about the doctrine of separation. I preached a sermon called Peculiar Through Separation. This week's sermon is going to be a continuation of that thought, and last week we learned about separation and why we should live separated lives and all of that. Today we're going to learn about how to set up, or how we should be setting up standards for a separated life. Now I want to say this, if you're here this morning and you're wondering, you know, you didn't, you didn't hear last week's sermon and you're thinking to yourself, why is he talking about these standards or separation, why do I need to do that? I want you to understand that. Uh, that question was answered in last week's sermon. Sometimes when we go through these series, the, the sermons are building upon each other. So if you're listening to this morning's sermon and you keep asking, well, why would I even want to do that? Then I would encourage you to go back and listen to last week's sermon, which explains why God desires for us to live a separated life. And, and we learned all about the doctrine of separation, the importance of separation. Today, what I'd like to do is kind of give you some thoughts in regards, and I'd like to give you just three thoughts uh, in regards to how to set up standards for a separated life or for separation. And what I want to do is give you these ideas, these thoughts, these principles in regards to setting up standards. And then if we have time at the end of the sermon, I'll give you some illustrations, some examples of how this looks and how this works in the real in real life as, as a Christian. But I want to give you just three, three uh, thoughts, and I'd like you to write these down on the back of your course of the week. There's a place for you to write notes. In regards to how to set up standards for separation. And you got to ask yourself this question and begin with this. Do you have any standards for your life? Are there standards for your Christian life? Now you may say, yes, I've got some standards or some things that I've decided in my life. This is what I will do or this is what I will not do. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I don't, I don't even know what a standard is or I don't have any standards in my life. Well, you need to have some and we'll talk about it uh, this morning and how to set those up. But I want to just give you some instructions in regards to setting up standards for a separated life and just how you get there. How do you become the Christian that lives a life of standards, that lives a life of separation through standards. So now, we must always begin, and here's point number one, we start with a scriptural principle. If you'd like to write that down. You always begin with a scriptural principle. And a scriptural principle is a principle gathered from biblical teaching. If you look down again at 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, the word scripture is referring to the word of God, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And we're going to look at those words here in a minute. But I want you to notice verse 17. Why? Why does God give us scripture? What it, the fact that it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. Why does that matter? Verse 17. That the man of God may be perfect. The word perfect in our King James Bible means complete or whole. He says that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished. The word furnished means to be supplied or equipped. He says, look, 
The Bible is going to uh, help you become a perfect, a complete, a mature Christian who's thoroughly supplied, equipped unto all good works. See, it is the Word of God that supplies us and equips us to live the victorious Christian life, the mature Christian life, the life that God desires for us to live. And it all begins with a scriptural principle. Now, you don't have to turn here. Let me just read this for you. But in Proverbs 14 and verse 12, the Bible says this, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And we talked about this last week, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to uh, remind you that we must realize that we cannot trust man's ways, man's thoughts, man's philosophies. When it comes to the guiding principles of our lives, we cannot be led by the principles of men or by the principles of this world. You say, why? Because there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I mean, read the book of Judges. If you've ever read the book of Judges, it's one of the most messed up books. And I say that with all the respect that I, I'd like to give the word of God. But as far as the people, the, the history, the account that is recorded for us in the book of Judges, it's one of the most messed up books in the Bible. And yet, what are we told uh, uh, several times, a couple of times in the book of Judges? That every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So the lesson we learn from Judges is if you want to live a, 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 a life that is a mess, if you want to live a life that is out of control, if you want to live a life that is, that is completely just, you know, crazy, then go ahead and do that which is right in your own eyes. Go ahead and follow the world's principles. But if you want to live a life that is complete and mature in Christ, you must always be guided by scriptural principles. Now notice what he says there. Look at verse 16 again, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. He gives us four areas that the word of God is profitable in. I want you to notice this. He, number one, he says doctrine. If you don't mind writing in your Bible, I'd like you to just kind of draw an arrow to that word doctrine and just write these words. What is right? He says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine is what is right. How do we know what is right and what is wrong in this world? We know what is right and we know what is wrong because of the doctrine that we learn from the Word of God. You cannot base morality. You cannot base righteousness. You cannot base what is right and what is wrong based off of the world standards. Look, if you, if you decide, let me ask you this question. Why, do, why is it wrong to kill? And the truth of the matter is, if you want the answer as to why is it wrong to take somebody else's life, because God said it's wrong, that's why. Because if you follow the world's philosophy that says you evolved from an ape, you evolved from a monkey, you're, you're, you're just an animal, you're just a more uh, evolved animal, well then look, by that standard, then why is it wrong for me to kill you if you're just an animal anyway? You don't have a soul, you don't have a purpose, you don't have a plan, you weren't created, you're just an accident. See, when you follow man's thinking and man's philosophy, it'll lead you in the way of death. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, like evolution, but the end thereof are the ways of death. But when we follow the Bible, when we follow doctrine, we learn what is right. I want you to notice the second area that he mentions there. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Then he says this, for reproof. If you don't mind writing your Bible, I'd like you to just take an arrow and uh, next to that word reproof, write these words. What is not right? So see, the Bible tells us what is right, doctrine. 
But the Bible also tells us what is not right. Reproof. Reproof is when we uh, are telling somebody that's not right. That is not a good thing. Then he says this, for correction. If you don't mind writing your Bible, I'd like you to just draw a little arrow next to that word correction. And in that word correction, you can write the statement, how to make something right. So we have doctrine, that which is right. We have reproof, that which is wrong. We have correction, how to make it right. Because see, the Bible doesn't just tell you how to, what's right and what's wrong. It tells you how to go from what's wrong to what's right. It tells you how to fix that which is wrong and make it right. And then the fourth uh, area there is for instruction. And I'd like you to just write a little, uh, draw a little arrow next to that word instruction. You can write these words, how to do something right. See, we got doctrine, what is right. We have reproof, what is not right. We have correction, how to make something right, how to make something wrong into right. But then we have instruction, how to do something right to begin with. And this is what God says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for, it's profitable to tell you what is right, what is not right, how to make something wrong right, and how to just do something right to begin with. And he says, look, when, I, when, when you follow the biblical principles of the Word of God, then you will be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So when it comes to what we believe, and this is where I believe that we have failed as independent fundamental Baptists, the reason that the average independent fundamental Baptist church in America today is dying. Now, I praise God for the work that he's doing here at Verity Baptist Church and, and the fact that we are a thriving church and a growing church and the Lord has blessed us over the years. But the truth of the matter is that the average church, the independent fundamental Baptist, conservative, King James only, soul winning church is dying this morning. They've got huge auditoriums that are empty. Few people, older people, they're losing the, the young generation. They're, not, they're, they're, use, they're losing the young people. They don't have mar- young married couples. They don't have young people getting married and starting life. They don't have young children in those churches. You say, why is that? I believe that one of the reasons for that, and not all of the reasons, but one reason is that that old IFB did a really good job at telling you what to do and what not to do and preaching good sermons about righteousness and standards and don't go there and do go there. But because their sermons were shallow, they never connected what we do with what the Bible says or why the Bible tells us not to do those things. See, it's not enough for for you to know this is right, this is wrong. You need to be able to connect that to a scriptural principle. You need to make sure, look, if somebody asks you, oh, you know, at your church, you guys do X, Y, and Z, or at your church, you know, uh, uh, the ladies dress a certain way, or the men dress a certain way, or they do this, or they don't do that, why is that? If your answer is, well, that's what pastor said, you're wrong. You can't live your life saying, well, that's what my church said. Well, that's what my pastor says. You need to search the scriptures and know, well, what does the Bible say? See, every standard must begin with a scriptural principle. Everything you do in life, every stand you take must be connected to the Word of God. And I believe that the reason that our church and churches like ours have have so many young people that are zealous and are involved and are interested and are excited about the things of God is because we're not just telling them, don't do this or do that, but we're telling them, don't do this and here's why from the Bible. Do that, and here's why from the Bible. 
And that might mean that you have to slow down a little bit when it comes to preaching God's Word. That might mean that you don't get to just write a 30-minute sermon, uh, you know, in 30 minutes. That might mean that you have to take some time and develop some scriptures and teach some things and, and, and help people with some things. But we teach the Word of God. Why? Because standards, good standards, right standards, always begin with a scriptural principle. So here's a question I have for you. If you have standards, do you have a scriptural principle connected to them? Do you have a verse, a, 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 a principle from the Word of God that you can point at and say, here's what we do, but here's why we do it? And if you don't, then you need to figure out why. Because the Word of God is good enough to tell you what's right and what's wrong, how to make that which is wrong right, and how to do that which is right and not go down the path of doing wrong. So we begin with a scriptural principle. But secondly... Keep your place there in uh, 2 Timothy, where you're at. We're going to come back to it. But go to the book of Daniel. Let me give you some examples from the book of Daniel. Towards the end of the, of the Old Testament, you've got those major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, those big books. Right after Ezekiel, you have the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. We begin with a scriptural principle. That's where we must start. Look, we always have to start with the Word of God. When I was uh, growing up in Christianity, I was told, when the Bible is your boss, you're a Baptist. As Baptists, we are Biblicists. We believe in biblical authority. The Bible is the authority in all matters of faith and practice. So we must always begin with the Word of God. We must always begin with a scriptural principle. But when it comes to setting up standards, I'm trying to teach you how to set up standards. You begin with a scriptural principle, but then out of those scriptural principles, you develop a solid conviction. I'd like you to write that down. A solid conviction. You begin with a scriptural principle, but then out of that, you develop a solid conviction. What is a conviction? A a conviction is something that grows out of a biblical principle. A conviction is something that you have decided, this is a stand, this is a place where I'm going to stand, and it's not just a conviction that was given to me by my church, by my denomination, by my pastor. A solid conviction grows out of a scriptural principle, but you've got to have some things that you're willing to die for and say, this is a conviction of my life. Amen. Now, Here's what I'd like to do, because today many people have just the wrong idea of a conviction, and I'd like to give you just three characteristics of a solid conviction. What is a solid conviction? And, 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 and I want you to write these down as well, because when you're developing convictions, when you start with a scriptural principle and you develop that into a solid conviction, you need to realize that convictions have certain characteristics to them. And I want you to write those down because as, as you develop these convictions in your life, you need to make sure that you are not, uh, that you are not uh, uh, forgetting these characteristics or that you are not violating these characteristics. So, solid convictions. Let me give you some characteristics. Number one, convictions are not subject to consideration. Convictions are not subject to consideration. Here's what I mean by that. Once you've decided this is a, a solid conviction that was developed out of a scriptural principle, then that conviction is not up for debate. You, you don't, you don't you know, take time to consider or reconsider. Once you've decided, once you've made your choice, a conviction, a true conviction, a pure conviction is not up for consideration. Let me give you some thoughts on that. Daniel chapter 1, look at verse 8. Notice what the Bible says. You know the famous story of Daniel? 
He and his friends were brought out of Judah as captives into the land of Babylon. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, notice what the Bible says, but Daniel purposed, you got to underline that word or circle that word in your Bible, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. When they got, when they got to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to eat certain things, to drink certain things, to do certain things, but Daniel had a conviction that came from a scriptural principle because they were living in the Old Testament. They were living under the Mosaic Law. They were told that they were not from the Word of God, that they were not to eat certain things, drink certain things, do certain things, and from that uh, a scriptural principle, he developed a solid conviction that said that he purposed in his heart that he would not, look, it wasn't up for debate, he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank, therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Let me give you another example from his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Go to Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3. Not only did he not, did Daniel not purpose in his heart, but if you remember, his friends, Nebuchadnezzar built a, a, an idol of himself, and everybody was to worship that idol, to bow down to that idol. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a scriptural principle from the Word of God that said that you're not to bow yourself to idols, that you're not to worship false gods, that you're not supposed to worship statues. And from that scriptural principle, they developed a solid conviction that they were not going to bow down to this idol. And I want you to notice that we know this was a conviction because this was not up for consideration. Notice what they said, Daniel chapter 3, verse 12. This is one of my favorite passages in scripture. Daniel 3, 12. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. This is the enemies of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego talking to Nebuchadnezzar about the fact that they're not willing to bow to his statutes. They said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if ye be ready, here's what he's saying, I'm going to give you another chance. You already didn't bow down when I told you to. But if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music. He says, look, when you hear the music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. He said, if you bow down, I'm going to give you another chance. If you bow down when you hear the music, great, that's fine. I'll let it go. He says, well, but if you worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? And I want you to notice the response from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here's how we know they had a solid conviction, because it was not up for debate. It was not something they had to consider. It's not something they had to talk about or pray about. They'd made a decision a long time ago, and they were willing to die for it. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, notice what they said. We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. They said, we don't have to think about it. We don't have to pray about it. We're not going to mince words. 
We have a solid conviction. And listen, a solid conviction is not up for consideration. In fact, it's something you'd be willing to die for. A conviction in your life is something that you decide. This is grown out of, it's developed out of a scriptural principle, and I'm not going to debate it. I'm not going to consider it. I'm not going to have a conversation about it. The decision has been made, and if I have to die for it, I'll die for it. That's what a solid conviction is. And look, if you're a Christian, if there's nothing in your life you'd be willing to die for, you're living a shallow Christian life. I mean, is there something you'd be willing to die for? I don't know. I mean, would you bow down to the, to the abomination of desolation put forth by the Antichrist? Or would you say like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I don't need to consider it. I don't need to think about it. I don't need to pray about it. The decision is already made. I have a solid conviction. I'm not going to bow to it. I want you to notice not only are convictions not subject to consideration, but secondly, the second characteristic of a conviction is that convictions are not subject to compromise. Notice our our heroes there, verse 17, Daniel chapter 3, verse 17. Notice what they said. If it be so, they're talking to Nebuchadnezzar. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. I, I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the wisdom that they have when they Because they say, look, our God is able. Our God is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But, then they said this, but if not, they said, if not, because this is where most Christians mess up. If God delivers me from my trials, then I'll serve him. But if he doesn't, then I'll get bitter and angry and backslide and get mad at God. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, look, if God delivers me, great. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. You say, why? Because their convictions were not only not, they were not only not up for consideration, but they were not subject to compromise. A conviction is something that you would say, I'm not going to compromise on that. I'm not going to change my mind on that. I don't have to reconsider it. I've already purposed it. I don't have to reconsider it. I've already decided. And once the decision is made, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not. I, I, you do Look, Nebuchadnezzar, do what you got to do. And God is able to deliver us if he chooses to deliver us. And if he doesn't choose to deliver us, we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image that thou hast set up. I'd like you to notice the third characteristic of a conviction. A conviction is not only not subject to consideration. It's not only not subject to compromise, but a conviction is not subject to circumstances. Let's go back to Daniel, but go to a different story of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Remember, Daniel is now a leader, and he has enemies that want to attack him. His enemies have noticed something about Daniel. They notice that he prays at a certain time in a certain place, and he's been doing this for a while. So here's what they do. They create a law that makes that action illegal. The circumstances have changed for Daniel. He was praying when it was legal. Now it's not legal. What does Daniel do? Well, here's what we know. What he does is a conviction because it does not change with circumstances. Daniel chapter 6, verse 6. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said uh, thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. 
All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors, the princes, the counselors, the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lies. Here's what they're saying. We're going to make a law that no one's allowed to ask any person or any god anything except for you, king. Verse 9. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. And when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into the house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. You say, why is Daniel doing this? Is he just trying to be a troublemaker? Is he just trying to cause issues? No, I want you to notice the last part of verse 10, as he did aforetime. This was something he did when nobody noticed, when nobody cared, when it wasn't illegal. But when the circumstances changed, you know what he said? He said, my convictions do not change based on circumstances. See, a conviction is something that is not only not subject to consideration. We don't have to reopen the conversation. It's not up for debate. And it's not something that is subject to compromise. We're not going to give in. But it's also something that is not subject to circumstances. Please listen to me very carefully. Make sure you are not being a hypocrite with your convictions. Your convictions should be consistent in every situation. Your convictions should be consistent in every situation. By the way, before you take on a conviction, you ought to consider the different circumstances that that conviction might play a role in. This is what uh, my, my wife and I often try to teach people. We do not believe in situational ethics. Now, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. See, society today, they'll tell you, oh, it's situational ethics. In one situation, what's right or what's wrong may be different than another situation. That is not what the Bible teaches. Look, what's right is right no matter who cares, uh, says anything about it, does anything about it, or writes a law about it. If it's right, it's right. And if it's wrong, it's wrong. Doesn't matter who you're with or where you're with, uh, convictions should not change based on circumstances. See, today, and let me give you an example. Today, if somebody walked in, if some lady walked in through those doors and sat down right in the midst of our our auditorium, and all she was doing, and and she was just in her underwear, I mean, just in her underwear, and just sat right there, everyone in this auditorium would be appalled. (gasps) I can't believe that. That woman. And look, and, and they should be. And, and here's what I would say. Any, any, the, the most worldly Christian, even unsaved people, if they were here and they saw some woman just walk into church in her underwear, would say, that is ridiculous. That is shameful. That is wrong. But here's what's funny. That same woman can basically put on the exact same outfit. And as long as she's on a beach, it's fine. And you dig a hole and put water in it and call it a pool, and all of a sudden, it's acceptable. Your convictions must be consistent in your circumstances. Well, it's not not right for her to wear underwear. Well, if it's not right for her to wear her underwear to church, it shouldn't be right for her to wear her underwear to a a pool party, to a lake, to a beach, to, to a water park. What I'm telling you is that as a Christian, you need to develop some solid convictions that are developed from some scriptural principles that are consistent in circumstances, that are not up for compromise, and they're not up for consideration. 
This is something you'd be willing to die for. This is something that does not change. And look, I, I know for some of you this is maybe radical type teaching, but this is how you live the victorious Christian life. You want to be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works? You must have some solid convictions. You must have convictions that are consistent. So if you have a conviction where you say, well, I would never do this fill in the blank. I would never do this here. I would never do this with that person. I would never do this in this situation, but I would do it in this situation. You are a hypocrite. You say, yeah, but that's what the world teaches. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. So we talked about number one. We start with a scriptural principle. And we said number two, out of the scriptural principles, we develop some solid convictions. Number three, we keep our convictions by following some safeguarding standards. I'd like you to write that, those, that term down, safeguarding standards. We keep our convictions by following some safeguarding standards. Now, if you kept your place in 2 Timothy, I'd like you to go from 2 Timothy, if you go backwards uh, into 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, you got 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, and then you got 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We keep our convictions by following some safeguarding standards. So we talked about scriptural principles. We've talked about solid convictions. Let's talk about some safeguarding standards. Now, what is a safeguarding standard? A safeguarding standard is a standard that regulates your convictions. A standard that you've already decided, this is a conviction. This is something I'm willing to die for. I will not compromise on it. I will not reconsider. It will not change based on my circumstance. It doesn't matter where I am or who I'm with. This is a conviction of my life. It was developed from a scriptural principle. But then you must set up some standards around your life to safeguard that conviction. Some safeguarding standards to regulate your convictions. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, are you there? Look at verse 6. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. Notice what it says here. And not after the tradition which he, he received of us. See, we're going to talk about traditions here for a little bit. And whenever we talk about traditions, we often talk about the negative traditions that Jesus was uh, preaching against the Pharisees over, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I want you to notice that here in 2 Thessalonians, Paul is talking about some believers who are not walking after the traditions which he received of us. Now, what is a tradition? A tradition is not something that's necessarily a, a, a scriptural principle. It's not even something that's necessarily a solid conviction, but it's something that we have placed around our convictions to safeguard our convictions, to keep us from violating our convictions. See, there's nothing wrong with a good tradition, a standard. There's nothing wrong with a good tradition or a standard. We need to be careful not to make too much of our traditions, but there's nothing wrong. Let, let me give you some examples. Here's, here's an example. At Verity Baptist Church, we have a rule that you don't stand up to preach the Word of God without wearing a shirt and a tie. That's our standard here. Now, you say, well, shut, give me a verse, uh, 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 a verse for that. I don't got a verse for that. 
Well, uh, well, what gives you the right? I'm the pastor. That's what gives me the right. <laughs> it's a standard. It's a standard. Here's the truth. Am I willing to die for that? I mean, if, if the government sent their uh, military police in here and they put a, head to, uh, a gun to my head and said, Pastor Jimenez, you will no longer preach wearing a tie. I'll take the tie off. <laughs> it's not a conviction. It's a standard. It's something I've decided that helps safeguard our convictions. You say, why? Because here's what I've noticed. I don't know if you've noticed. Here's what I've noticed. Everyone who preaches without a tie is a liberal. Now, I'm not saying everyone who preaches with a tie on is good. Okay, Joel Osteen wears a tie. That doesn't make him good. But when you've got guys that have taken the role of leadership and said, you know what, I'm going to dress in a certain way when I preach the Word of God. Usually you find the good guys on that side, and when you've got the skinny jeans, ripped up jeans, t-shirt wearing pastor, he's usually preaching heresy, he's usually a liberal all the time. I mean, show me the fire-breathing, hellfire and brimstone, preaching the Word of God preacher in skinny jeans in America. Show me one. Here's all I'm telling you. That's a stand- you might disagree with that. That's okay. We can disagree on standards. That's a standard I've got. I'm not willing to die over that. Now, if they come in here and they say, you will no longer preach out of the King James Bible. Well, I got an issue with that. That's a conviction. It's not up for debate, and it's not up for compromise. It's a decision we've made, and I'm willing to die for it. See, in your mind, you need to understand the difference between a standard and a conviction. A conviction is something that's not up for consideration. It's not up for compromise. It's not uh, dependent on circumstances. But standards have been, need to be set up around those convictions to safeguard us from violating those convictions. We may agree on biblical principles. We may even agree on the convictions. But you and I may differ on standards. Be careful about looking down on people because of your standards being higher than theirs. I'm all for people having high standards, but don't become a Pharisee about it. Now, let, me, let me give you some examples, okay? Let, let's, let's look at some, some, some examples. You're, are you there in uh, 2 Thessalonians? Go back to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2. I just, these are just some examples that I just pulled out just to kind of help you understand this. Because here's what I want you to do. I want you in your life to go through this process... When you've got to make a decision, what will we do? What will I do with my children? What will I do uh, in my marriage? What will I do in my personal life? You've got to go through these three steps. Is there a scriptural principle? I must start with a scriptural principle. Can I develop a solid conviction out of that scriptural principle? And can I set up some safeguarding standards around that solid conviction to protect that solid conviction? Here's some examples. Now, I realize that these examples are going to may, may offend you, but, you know, what else is new at Verity Baptist Church? 1 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 9. Here's a scriptural principle, all right? In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. So here we have a scriptural principle. What's the scriptural principle? It's that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Modest means not bringing attention to yourself, not flashing. So here's a scriptural, uh, 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 scriptural uh, excuse me, a solid conviction that my wife and I have developed out of this scriptural principle, that women adore themselves in modest apparel. Here's a solid convic- uh, conviction. 
our conviction is that ladies or anyone, really, should not dress flashy or to attract attention. That's a solid conviction that we have. You say, well, how do you regulate that? Well, let's just take one example. And again, I'm just, the, the, you may agree with the standard, you may not agree with the standard, that's fine. I'm just giving you an example to kind of help you understand. Let, let's take one area of dress for ladies. Let's talk about makeup. What are the standards that we have set, the, the, the safeguarding standards that we have set up around our conviction of not having ladies or anyone dress in a flashy way or in a way that brings attention. Here's a standard that we've set up. You know, we have young children. My oldest is 11, and he's a male, and he's a boy, and my second oldest is a boy as well. But after that, we've got four girls. My oldest girl is six years old, so we're a long ways from this, and we don't have to worry about it, but we already had these conversations. You know, when it comes to makeup for our girls, what are our safeguarding standards? And here's what we've decided in our lives, and you may agree with this, you may not, that's fine. You've got to come up with your own standards. But here's what we've decided. For our girls, we don't want them to wear makeup until they're 15 years old. And when they do wear makeup, we want it to be light, and we want it to be natural. Meaning we want it to be light makeup, and we want it to be makeup that matches their natural uh, just colors or complex. Uh, com- not complex. What's the word I'm looking for? Complexion, you know, I'm a guy, so I've got a complex, but they've got a complexion. <laughs> their, their natural complexion, you know, that's what we've decided. So here's what we mean by that. When our, our girls are not going to be 12 years old wearing makeup, they're also not going to be 15 years old with purple makeup with glitter. That's a standard that we've set. Now, some people, some people have a standard that says no makeup. My wife will not wear makeup. My daughters will not wear makeup. That's fine. That's your standard to set. The point is this. You must set some standards to safeguard your conviction. You've got to set some standards to regulate what your convictions are. Now, let me, let me just make this clear. Go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 15, first book in the New Testament. Should be fairly easy to find because this is where fundamental Baptists get, get off rail. They start making their standard the scriptural principle. I mean, look, I know people, and I'm not against this. Look, if you, if you say my wife will not wear makeup, my children will not wear makeup, more power to you. I know people who look down on other, well, we must be better Christians than they are because his wife wears light makeup. Well, now you're a Pharisee. You say, how can you say that? Here's how I can say that. You can't show me a verse that says no women are allowed to wear makeup. You can't show me a scripture that says it's a sin for a woman to put makeup on. So if you want to have that high standard, hey, go for it. But don't judge others based off your standard. That's your standard. And look, you shouldn't try to get people. You shouldn't look down on people for your high standard. Or, but let me say this, on the flip side, you shouldn't try to get people to bring their standards down. It, 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 what does it matter? It's not, it's not any of your business. Hey, brother, I've noticed your wife doesn't wear makeup. What are, are you some sort of an Amish? What? Look, that's between him and God. That's between him and his wife. Do you understand? On both sides, you are not looking at someone who's at a higher standard than you and try to bring them down. Look, you're never to cause people to sin against their own conscience. But at the same time, if you have a higher standard... Don't look down on others because now you're a Pharisee. 
Matthew 15, look at verse 1. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandments of God by your traditions? See, the funny thing is that people make up standards that aren't even in the Bible, and then they actually start sinning against God by gossiping or being critical or being uh, judgmental in an unrighteous way against their neighbor. And it's like, now you're sinning by your tradition. So look, please understand me. Nothing wrong with standards. You need to have standards in your life, but realize your standards are your standards. And if someone has higher standards than you, don't try to bring them down. But if someone has lower standards than you, don't look. Look, that's between them. You know, oh, well, that guy, he, I just think that he, he lets his teenage daughter just wear too much makeup. Look, whether I agree with that or not, whether that's my standard or not, whether that's what I would do or not, that's none of my business. You know, this Facebook generation would do well to learn how to just stay out of things that don't matter to you. To not meddle in business, to not meddle in strife, not belonging to you. Let me, let me just explain something to you. If you don't have authority in that situation to change something, then stay out of it. Amen. Pastor Mary, do you think that guy should be uh, letting his teenage daughter wear uh, eyeshadow that dark? I don't care. Amen. I don't ma- it doesn't matter. Now, if his teenage daughter is fornicating, okay, that's a scriptural principle that we will deal with. But when it comes to a standard, it doesn't matter what I think. That's his, uh, his, uh, the mom's uh, situation or the dad's situation. That's between them and God. Stay out of it. Don't meddle with strife not belonging to you. Let me help you out with something. You don't need to give your opinion on every little thing that's happening on Facebook or anywhere else. It doesn't matter. Can you change it? Then stay out of it. And worry about yourself. Develop some safeguarding standards for you. Develop some safeguarding standards for your family. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 5. You're there in 1 Timothy. Just head backwards to 2 Thessalonians 5. Let me give you another example. 2 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verse 22. 2 Thessalonians 5 verse 22 says this. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Here's a scriptural principle. Abstain from all appearance of evil. What does that mean? That means that God does not only want you to avoid evil, but he even wants you to avoid the appearance of evil. So here's a solid conviction that we've developed in our, in our family. I will do my best to not look like I'm doing something wrong. I will do everything in my power to not look like I'm doing something wrong. You say, why is that a solid conviction? It's a solid conviction because it comes from a biblical principle that says, abstain from all appearance of evil. So what are some safeguarding standards? Now look, you, you may agree with this, you may not agree with this. But let, let me just give you some examples. You know, for me and my wife, we go out uh, on a weekly date night. Sometimes we walk into a restaurant and they'll say, there's a 30-minute wait, but there's two seats available at the bar. No wait at the bar. And we're like, oh, no, no, we're good. Thank you. Oh, you don't have to order alcohol. You can order from the menu at the bar. No, I don't even want to sit at the bar. I'll wait 30 minutes. Now, you may think, well, that's, a, that's absurd. I mean, where? show me in the Bible. Where? Hey, look, all I'm telling you is I've got a safeguarding standard. I've got a safeguarding standard that protects me from violating my conviction. I've got a safeguarding standard. I don't walk into casinos for any reason, ever, period. 
I don't care how good the hotel deal is. I don't care how good the buffet is. I don't walk into casinos. I know a certain pastor, if they had a safeguarding standard that say I don't walk into casinos, it would have saved his marriage. You say, oh, you're a little over the top. I'm just telling you that you've got to develop some convictions in your life and set up some safeguarding standards around those convictions. Set up some safeguarding standards to make sure that you do not violate those convictions. You've got to, look, and here's a question I have for you. Do you have any standards in your life? Do you have any convictions? Is there anything you'd be willing to die for? Is there anything you'd, be, you'd say, I will not compromise, I will not change? Let me give you one more. Well, this is going over well, so let's just do one more and we'll be done. Go to Hebrews 10. That was sarcasm in case you didn't get that. You learn 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. I'll give you one more. We'll be done. We start with a scriptural principle. Here's a scriptural principle. Hebrews 10.25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Here's a scriptural principle. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner. The word manner means custom or habit. Here's what he's saying. Some people have a custom or a habit of forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Some people have made a habit of skipping out on church. That's what it's saying. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the matter of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more. You don't, we, we need more church, not less church. We need more preaching of the Word of God, not less preaching of the Word of God. And some people say, oh, that's not about church attendance. That's about just quitting church altogether. How do you make a habit or a custom of quitting church altogether? If, once you quit church altogether, it's a one-time thing. You did it. Okay? It's talking about skipping out on church attendance because it's something you make a manner of life. It's a custom. It's a habit. It's something you're doing on a regular basis. Here's, here's all I'm telling you. Here's a scriptural pattern. The scriptural pattern is that we are not to, uh, principle, excuse me, is that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So here's a scriptural, uh, a solid conviction that I've developed from that scriptural pattern. And that solid conviction is this. I will not miss a church service for any reason that I can control. I, this is my solid conviction. I will not miss a church service for any reason that I can control. Now, let me just say this. Obviously, there are reasons to miss church that are out of your control. Okay, your kids are sick and throwing up, and you stay home to take care of your kids. That's acceptable. You know, that's fine. We're not talking about that. Okay, you were doing everything in your power to get to church, and your tire blew out, you know, and, and, and you weren't able, or whatever, you know, you weren't able to get it. Situated. Look, there are things that are out of our control. I get it. I'm just telling you, for me, for me, uh, we have, my wife and I and our family, we have a conviction that we're going to do everything in our power to not miss church for anything that's within our control. So here's a safeguarding principle. We schedule our lives to not miss church. When we go on vacation, we don't miss church. If we go on vacation, we leave on Monday. We leave on Thursday. Or if we're going to be gone long enough, we find a church to go to while we're on vacation, but we don't miss church because we're on vacation. You say, that's a little extreme. No, you know what? I want to teach my kids that we take a vacation from school. We take a vacation from work. We take a vacation from just the regular things we do all day in life, but we don't take a vacation from God. We don't take vacations from God. In all things, he might, must have the preeminence. 
But seek ye first the kingdom of God. It's worth it to me to drive somewhere and make the effort to be in church on Wednesday night to teach my kids God is a priority in our lives. You know, I'm thankful for parents that taught me that. I'm thankful that as I, you say, Pastor Maz, you're a little extreme. You know what? Maybe I got it from my parents. I remember when I was a kid growing up, we used to play baseball. We were in Little League. That was the sport we played, baseball, my brother and I. And when we played baseball, we'd have pra- you know, practice and games on, on, on Saturdays, and, and it was the two days. Saturdays were game day. Wednesdays were game day. Games, I forget if it started at four or five or whatever. And you know what? On Wednesdays, and, you know, the baseball games, they last like four hours or whatever, three hours. You know, they go till 8, 30, or 9. Well, Wednesday night church started at 7. You know what we did? We put on our little uniforms. We put on our little socks. We put on our little cleats. We went down to the park at 5 p.m. We warmed up. We uh, played the first inning and the second inning and the third inning. And right about 6.45, my mom or my dad, get your stuff, kids. Oh, where are you guys going? Going to church. Oh, all the friends. Oh, what, what, what? The game's not over yet. Where are you leaving? Where are you guys going? We're going to church. The coaches, why, why, is your, why are your parents pull you out of way? We go to church. We don't miss church to play ball. Amen. Hey, we don't miss church to do anything. Amen. We'll, we'll, we'll skip school before we miss church. I'll call in sick at work if it means, you know, before I, before I miss church. I'm just telling you, that's something that was developed in my life. Now, you may not have that standard. That's why you're a liberal. I'm just kidding. Look, I'm not judging. (laughs) I'm thankful that someone, you think I liked that when I was a kid? I would rather stayed and played games. But I wonder if that shaped my life. I wonder if I'm the man who I am today. I wonder if I'm the pastor that I am today because somebody took time to teach an 8-year-old and a 9-year-old and a 10-year-old that God comes before anything and everything else. Look, you may not agree with that. That's between you and God. I'm just telling you, I've got a safeguarding standard that says I'm not going to miss church to go on vacation. I'm not going to miss church to do anything. I'm going to schedule my travel around church. I'm going to schedule my vacation time around church. I'm going to schedule my work schedule around church. I'm going to do whatever I've got to do within the control of my life. You say, well, where do you get the right? I've got a scriptural principle, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. I've got a solid conviction that anything within my power, anything within my control to not miss church, we will do, realizing that there are some things out of our control. But anything within, look, I'm not going to stay home to watch the Emmys. I'm not going to stay home from Sunday night church to watch the Super Bowl. I mean, whether you should even be watching the Emmys or a Super Bowl is a different standard altogether. You know, but, but, but you know, the standard, I'm not going to skip church for just some stupid little nothing. I'm just telling you, that's a safeguarding standard. You say, why, Pastor, why, why, but why so, be so strict? Here's why I'm so strict. Because whenever people get vaccinated and they quit on church, they never just wake up one day. They're never just Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, soul winning, on fire for God. And then they just, the next week, they're just backslidden, just living for the world of the devil. It never happens that way. You know how it happens? I've been doing this for over eight years now. I've seen it more times than I care to talk about. You know how it happens? Someone who's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, is Sunday morning, Sunday night, then they miss a Wednesday night. Then they're back to Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Then they miss a Sunday night. 
Then they're back to Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Then they miss a Wednesday night, and they miss a Sunday night. And they're back on Sunday morning and Sunday night. Then they miss another Sunday. Then they miss a Sunday morning. And eventually, it just kind of happens that where, where people just stop missing them. And then eventually, it's like, where's so-and-so? And I'm thinking to myself, like, so-and-so hasn't been here for like six months. Because that's how it happens. So you know what I've got? And look, I'm, I'm a man like anybody else. I get tired and lazy and backslidden like anybody else. So you know what my, my safeguarding standard to keep that from happening is? I'm just not going to miss any church that I can control. Amen. Now look, look, if you're sick, if, you, if you've had some major issue that keeps you from it, I'm not, if it's out of your control, I'm not preaching against that. I'm saying I'm not going to miss church because I'm taking my kids to the park, because I'm taking my kids to play ball, because I'm going to go down to Disneyland or whatever, and that's a whole other standard too. I'm just telling you, you've got to have some safeguarding standards. If my conviction is I will not drink alcohol, my standard is I won't even sit at the bar. If my conviction is, you know, whatever it is, I'm going to live a righteous and holy life, then your standards need to be to protect those standards. So again, let's just go over the points and we'll be done. How do you develop... Standards for a separated life. You begin with a scriptural principle from the Word of God. If you've got a standard you can't point back to a verse or a principle in Scripture, then you're wrong. Begin with a scriptural principle. Out of that scriptural principle, you develop a solid conviction. How do you know a conviction is a conviction? It is a conviction because it is not up for consideration. It is not up for compromise. And it does not change with circumstances. It's something you'd be willing to die for. There are other things we do, wear a tie, not wear a tie, whatever. But a conviction is something you'd say, I will not compromise on this. And then you set up some safeguarding standards around that conviction to make sure you don't violate that conviction. And be careful with your standards because that's usually where we become Pharisees. Realize that you may have a high standard and somebody else has a lower standard. That's between them and God. You may take it this far, and they might take it that far. That's, that's between them and God and you and God. But have some standards. And look, within your scope of authority, with your wife, with your children, in your church, whatever, you know, you develop whatever standards you want to protect you, and then don't look down on others for not having those or try to get others to sin against their conscience by trying to get them to change on those. So be careful with the standards, but we must have standards for a separated life. I hope that made sense. I hope I wasn't incoherent <laughs> in my sermon this morning. But let's go ahead and bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, uh, for your word. And uh, thank you for the Bible. And, th- and Lord, I-, I just pray that we would uh, understand